Hi, I'm Dan Welton, the CEO of First Mining Gold. First Mining is developing a couple of world-class projects in Canada, the Spring Pool Gold Project, which we're advancing through feasibility and environmental assessment, and the Duparquet Gold Project in Quebec. Dan, good to see you. Uh, and I know you're in Europe at the moment. You're over at the Gold Conference in, in, in Zurich. What's the mood of the nation? Uh, you know, I I would like to think that at $2,000 gold, we'd have a little bit more ebullience than uh, than what we're seeing. Uh, I think it's, it's a really interesting setup that uh, there's still, you know, a little bit of fear and trepidation in spite of the fact that the gold price is really cooperating with, uh, with you know, what everyone's plans were. And one of the things that really strikes people here is that the larger producers, a lot of people forget this, they did most of their capital budgeting at fifteen or $1,600 an ounce. So there is somewhere between four and $500 an ounce free cash flow margin coming out of producers these days that they weren't expecting to have. So they should be happier than they are. <laughs> well, look, but, but that's the interesting thing, right? Because I, if, I, if I look back to our conversations about your business model, you, you're building up ounces in Canada, right? Um, that should be attractive to these guys. So w- what are they doing? What are they talking about? Because you're, you're at the conference, uh, for instance. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what's interesting is they're starting to focus on longer-term growth or longer-term production profiles. And what I've noticed here sitting in a couple of these presentations is um, they're, uh, most of the producing companies are declaring victory on flat production, right? Flat is the new growth. And in a $2,000 gold environment uh, where, you know, I think we're all expecting, and there's lots of calls for gold to go higher than this based on where we are and sort of macro economy and the, and the macro political situation. Um, you know, I think it's just highlighting the fact that there is an industry that's going to be desperate for growth. And there really is a lack of projects uh, coming in this pipeline beyond the ones that are in construction right now. So I think it's setting up really, really well for a company like ours with big projects that we're advancing to have ready at the right time. Well, okay, I want to talk about that in a second, but just going back to you say flat, flat is the new growth in, in, in the sense that um, it's, it's been high inflationary in, environment and, and the cost of production has risen, but gold has also, as you say, been doing it, it has also been going up and maybe net net it's, it's kind of working for these big producers. Um, but, their intent is what they, they're going to have to show growth. Like I've been speaking to some, you know, multi-billion-dollar uh, gold companies over the past two, three weeks, and you know they're desperate to try and tell a growth story. Um, where's that going to come from? Therein lies the question, right? Therein lies the question. Most of the producers over the last five years have kind of shunted the hard work of development off to companies like First Mining Gold who arguably are some of the least capable of actually advancing these projects, you know, financially and, and technically. So we're, we're, we've done, I think, a, a good job of marshalling the resources toward advancing, you know, spring pool through feasibility study process and through the environmental assessment process. But for a lot of these bigger producers, you know, they are going to have to go buy that growth at some point in time. And some of them are uh, are taking some some good credit for having looked counter cyclically, but that's very very rare. Most of them have been hunkered down over the last five years, you know, claiming getting their house in order, you know, paying down debt, uh, returning capital to shareholders, but not focused on the long term of this business, which 
As we all remember, this is an extractive business. When the ounce is out of the ground, out of reserves, that, those reserves are gone. And you need to replace them through exploration or you're going to need to find new projects. And so I think that's where we're starting to see the light coming on that, yes, there's some near-term growth or some near-term capital, maybe optimization, but longer term for new productive capacity is going to have to come from these companies adding new projects. Right. And and, and I think... If I look at if I look at a company like you, you know, I mean, you've talked to me in the past about the kind of the the cost of the ounces and 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 the ground as well as the the amount of ounces in the ground. How do you pretty that up for these companies with the big balance sheets who can move these forwards? Because again, I'm going back to my conversations the past few weeks. You've got uh, majors who have bought projects which don't have the licenses or permits in place. One company waiting seven years so far for, for, for that event to happen. You've got other, you know, other um, companies that bought into um, projects which have got issues around First Nations, Indigenous I- I- issues going on. So you you have to package them up a little bit further or a little bit more than previously, don't you? Well, I, yeah, I think uh, the degree to which the companies are willing to step in earlier depends a little bit on the availability of projects, right, and where they want to commit their capital, um, be that on something that's already been built, which by the way, undercapitalized companies building mines usually end up not building very good mines because you end up having to cut corners to keep your budgets intact. Um, you know, But there are a few that have been built over the course of the last couple of years. Some of those will have to be obvious targets, but the the more we advance in this uh, in this sort of phase of the industry, um, the more likely I think bigger companies are going to look earlier stage so they can control a lot of those risks or you know help to mitigate those risks themselves. So I think they will come earlier stage uh, over the course of the next couple of years. But to your question, what do we have to do? We need to keep doing what we have been doing for four years, which is, moving these projects forward, de-risking these projects technically, uh, earning the social license to move these projects forward, and advancing them through permitting processes, which are not getting any shorter anywhere in the world these days. Right. But it, 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 well, it almost feels to me um, that the big guys are going to have to learn how to manage that process because it's not something that they've had to do. They're, they're in production. They've got a license, premises, permissions, et cetera. Um, but you know, ha- have shown themselves in recent times to be ill-equipped to actually, um, well, stay stay friendly with the, with the locals. You know, we've seen instances in in, in Australia and and uh, North America of, of that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that side of their business evolves and develops. Back to you though, um, with with the projects that you are advancing, well, obviously Spring Pro and Duparquet um, being, being the kind of key key ones here is the. You're, I think, feasible study with Spring Call is, is when, remind me? Uh, so um, we're really targeting the feasibility study the end of 2024, but we're probably 80% done the work that we need to do there. Uh, we're looking at potentially a pre-feasibility study update later this year just to really um, update the economics of the changes in scope that we've made on the project as we've gone through the environmental assessment process. Right. Okay. Okay. And with Duparquet, again, give us a sense of timing on that. Uh, Duparquet, we're targeting a preliminary economic assessment kind of before the end of the summer this year to give a first glimpse at what we think a development scenario might look like there. Right. Okay. So you're, you're kind of setting yourself up and laying out your laying out your stool. 
What's the competition look like? I mean, there's got to be a whole bunch of projects these majors can look at and go and find it, isn't there? Yeah, there are. Um, particularly, the there's you know a group of them that have been able to attract the capital to go into construction and are being built right now. And we have an interesting slide in our uh, in our corporate presentation that highlights you know we right now own two of the top fifteen development projects by size in Canada. Um, you fast forward a couple of years and take out all of those projects that are in construction right now, some of which are really going to be finished this year, some in 2024. Um, but there's, let's call it five or six that are rounding the corner on, on construction or getting to first production over the next couple of years. When our project is permitted uh, at Springpool, which we're targeting environmental assessment approvals in mid-2025, which is only a couple of years away, by that time, you know, First Mining is going to hold two of the 10 largest undeveloped gold projects in Canada that are really, you know, advanced on a development path. So a lot of the other larger resource companies in good jurisdictions, and there are other, other companies doing good work on developing projects, continuing to grow them through exploration in around the areas where we are, in the Abitibi, around Timmins, other places in Ontario. Um I, those projects are still uh, going to be, I think, a few years behind us in terms of the environmental assessment process. People forget that we put Springpool into the EA process in 2018. So we have been at this for five years already going through the EA process. Now, we'll slow down a little bit with COVID, mind you. But that said, um, it's difficult to do it much faster than what we have been doing. So you know, this is going to be one of the next projects that's permitted in the province of Ontario, one of the next major mining projects. So, yeah, I think it leaves us at a really interesting position that there's going to be very, very few projects sort of permitted, ready to build in that 2025 to 2028 time frame. Okay, so scarcity is your friend and, and scarcity usually does uh, one thing and one thing only to, uh, to price. Um, the other component... Um, in this mix is, and I don't know what you've been hearing at the, at the conference with regards to people's forecasting of gold price. Now, I think yeah. three years ago, some of the calls for $3,000 gold was, was probably a, a little bit premature. Um, let's put it that way. But yep. since then, we've been printing money for fun. The economies globally have... Um, well, a little bit exhausted, a little bit tired. Um, inflation has hit people hard, and you know money seems worth less. So, um, what what are you hearing with regards to gold price growth, gold forecasts at the conference? No, I think some of the some of the best forecasters of gold price in the world are here, and we have the the ability to you know kind of pick their brains and and understand their level of excitement. Um, one of the preeminent forecasters uh, has just gone what he calls max bullish. And this is a guy who has, you know, does some of the best work in the world on forecasting gold prices. So he's forecasting 2,500 by the end of the year, which he is calling a slam dunk and thinks that there could be real upside momentum from there, really based on, you know, ground up fundamental uh, value analysis and looking at what's going on sort of in the macroeconomic and macro political climate in the world. Um, you know, what a lot of people forget when you just start figuring out what the cost of uh, servicing the debt is in the U.S. at a higher interest rate like we're at now, it adds 
trillions, trillions to the annual deficit. And there was a time when a billion dollar deficit in the US was something that was extraordinary. Like you remember global financial crisis, 2008 and then 2009, the US ran a trillion dollar deficit. Extraordinary times, they needed to save the global economy. Well, the trillion dollar deficit today is like, uh, that's a throwaway, that's a given. And that's servicing this debt at a at a much lower interest rate. Like you look at what's happening now with interest rates, it just it can't afford the to be able to have rates high for all that long. So, uh, or if they do, then they're going to have to find another way to continue to service that. And ultimately, that looks like uh, I think printing money, which is again this long coordinated global race to the bottom. Yeah, I know. We we we've actually just put out a a, um, a report ourselves with, with we we think. Um, Gold and you know gold gold companies as a proxy to the gold price. This this year for producers um, should be a big year, and that cascades down uh, for for sure into developers and, and explorers. So I'm fascinated by what gold price will do this year uh, more than any other time um, previously. Um, now, just with regards to the, you've discussed some of the things that you're going through, the phases that you're going through. Um, needs funding. You've told me in the past you've got a lot of money, but you've also just offloaded some non-core royalty. Um, portfolio projects. Um, wh- wh- why now? Uh, well, we uh, I think that was a way that we could continue to get the money that we need to advance the projects that we're working on uh, without diluting shareholders, right? And that was really the benefit and the power of this portfolio of assets that we have in First Mining. Uh, it's a lot of work to turn some of those assets to account um, and turn them into cash to be able to fund. But, you know, we sold two, uh, in two different transactions, sold these royalties, which were all royalties that we created mostly, uh, on selling or partnering out other assets for almost 17 million Canadian. So, you know, not bad for something we were getting no value for in our share price. And, you know, it was kind of sitting in the cupboard. We still have a bunch of those other types of assets, you know, uh, a, a marketable security portfolio that's now 13 or $14 million. We've got, uh, you know, the project interests in Pickle Crow and Hope Brook um, that are major projects being moved forward by our partners doing great work. And we have carried interest positions in these projects that we don't have to fund them. And our, uh, our project interests uh, kind of stay at that uh, 20, 30% level. So, um, yeah, no, I think we, we've got a lot still in the company that gives us some financial flexibility. We got to work hard again to turn some of those things to account, but, um, lots of flexibility in what we have today. Right. And so obviously there's the, there's the kind of, um, the, the royalty component and there's also stock component to this as well. I guess in this market, the stock looks less interesting in terms of offloading. I'm sure the, the, the stock hot, the, the, uh, the companies with the stock, would want to have a conversation with you about when and how. Yeah, um, uh, naturally. But, you know, as we always say, the only thing we'd uh, like to do less than selling some of our marketable securities is having to sell first mining stock at, you know, $6 an ounce in the ground or, you know, 0.1 times our fundamental value. So, you know, you sometimes have to make hard choices. But I, I think the other flip side to that is in a robust market, increasing gold price, when we start seeing some, uh, you know, interests start coming down into the development sector. Uh, these marketable securities could be worth, you know, three to five times what they are now. And that's those start getting to be really meaningful numbers. Right. Okay. Just if you, I always like speaking to people when that conference is. So conversations, you've had some good, good conversations, some good, good meetings, I, I'm sure. But what's your kind of key takeaway 
um, from the session. Key takeaway for us, you know, we, we managed to connect with a bunch of, uh, of existing investors here, a few new investors. Um, and I think we've had great support from our investors uh, who are looking at our current share price, which is at or near all-time lows, as a real opportunity to add to positions. I think one of the things that uh, we're walking away from this conference is there is a real recognition amongst investors that if you are a value investor, and that's my whole career, I've very much been a value-focused investor, um, the development sector is the deep value sector in mining right now. You know, you are buying dollars for five cents. And uh, the downside risk when you're doing that is actually, I think most people think pretty limited, particularly in an increasing gold price environment, in an environment where you can very clearly see how the M&A market is going to start uh, increasing in, in activity. And you have producers who need projects who are starting to generate lots of free cash flow, more than they were expecting in some cases, a lot more than they were expecting uh, this year. With a, with a higher gold price. So all of those factors come in to say, you know, this is a really, really good time for people looking at deep value investing to be looking at gold developers and first mining gold particularly. 